So I hope you had a good week. Uh, Gage said fall is here, and I, I don't know if anyone is more happy than people who live in the southeastern part of Alabama because it's been the longest summer ever, and this week included some news for our family that brought joy and life. We are having a third girl, y'all. We are having a third girl. Courtney is pregnant, and we're praying just leading up to that news that we got on Friday. And I'll be honest, I thought we were having a boy. We have two girls. I'm a girl dad. I love raising girls. And, and I just thought, okay, well, we've got two girls. It's, it, it's time for the boy. And I'm telling you, when we were in that office, and, and she said girl, and Courtney and I got to dream and envision what is about to happen in her life. I felt called by the Spirit of God to tell all of you to pray for our bank account and pray <laughs> for the future of our family because, oh man, like it, I just kept saying it to myself. I was like driving, I was like, three daughters, three, there's three, three, and a wife. That's four, one. So I'm excited. I got, uh, I got a week off from preaching last week. Gage Henry brought the word of God last Sunday. And uh, Courtney and I got to go first time and we don't even know how many years. We sat in another church with no responsibility just to receive the word of God. And it's amazing how when you create the space to rest and breathe and let God fill you up, how quickly living water will start to flow from within you. And so we've been in this series walking through the Sermon on the Mount. It's called Remnant because we believe this is the vision of who God's called us to be as a church. The remnant is the group that remains. We believe the Sermon on the Mount is not bonus material for Christians who are serious about this stuff. We believe the Sermon on the Mount is the basic culture of the kingdom that every follower of Jesus is called to embrace. So it's been convicting. It's been challenging. It's been the very words of Jesus from the side of a mountain where he was seated teaching his disciples and inviting thousands of others to listen in. And we take that model, there's a lot of models for how you can do church. And I'm not up here saying our model is the right one. I'm up here going, this is what our leadership feels compelled by God to put in front of you. We don't feel like God has called our church to cater to the masses. We feel like God has called our church to preach to the remnant and invite the masses to be a part of the remnant of God. So that word remnant, I know it's gotten a little bit confusing, but we're not, we're not saying that we are the remnant of Israel in the Old Testament. We are saying that God has a pattern over time of blessing and moving through his faithful few who actually have a vibrant prayer life, who actually spend time alone with God, who actually serve, who are actually not living for the culture of the world and the kingdoms around them, but set on the kingdom of heaven as the one reason why they have breath in their lungs. And the prayer of this series is this, God, would you transform us from being consumers of Jesus's merit to being disciples of Jesus's way? And I have to say that every week because some of you became Christians without ever being told this is what it means. In fact, I'm not just going to say some of you. Most of you prayed to receive Christ under the context of Jesus died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. He rose from the grave. So now you have hope for eternal life. And if you commit your life to following him right here and right now, you are in the family of God. You are going to heaven. The Holy Spirit will fill you up. And that's your story. And here's what's, here, here's what's so troubling about that. All of that is true. It's just incomplete. We are consumers of Jesus' merit. 
But being a consumer of the merit of Jesus before God means being a disciple of Jesus in this lost, dark, and broken world. There is no, some people are disciples, some people are just consumers. It's no, no, if you get it, as a consumer of Jesus's merit, you've committed your whole life to being a part of it. I'm not saying that to convict you. I'm not saying that to bother you. I'm not saying that to get in front of you every week and just make you feel bad if you have never put any effort in. I'm saying that because I realize there are scores of people who come here every week and no one ever told you that. No one ever got in front of you and said, hey, this is kind of the deal. Based on what the scripture says, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we're going to take another step forward in this series. We're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've got three messages left. This one, Brad's got next week, and then I'll close it down UGA weekend. But I'm so excited about giving you the Word of God this week. This sermon is titled, Your Weapon Against Anxiety. Your Weapon Against Anxiety. Look at somebody next to you and say, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I hope it is. Okay, so right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a long explanation of what his followers are intended to do in the area of worry, anxiety, and mental health. That's a big deal. Like when Jesus talks about something in the Sermon on the Mount, I think we're so quick to get convicted and measure our lives against how much they don't look like what he is saying that we don't realize that the very fact that he's saying it is encouraging. The fact that he's saying it means he knows you're going to struggle with it. Because he wouldn't say it if it wasn't an issue that was going to be relevant to your life. So the fact that in the middle of his most important sermon, Jesus takes a nice chunk of time to cover worry, that's good news. That's a big deal. And I know that so many people are talking about anxiety right now. So many books have been written. So many talks have been given, and rightfully so. We all know we are in the middle of an epidemic, the proportions to which we don't even realize about our mental health. The statistics tell me that the numbers are in the triple digits of people who, were, who will be at ACC today who thought about taking their life in the past week. That has never been true at any other time in human history, and it's true right now, statistically. What doctors are saying, I, I, I talk to doctor friends or physician's assistants that tell me, hey, we deal with more mental issues than we do physical now, even though we are trained to treat physical issues. They all kind of seem to be stemming back to these issues that we're talking through week after week. And who even knows how much that's going to multiply in the years to come as this pandemic, hoping and praying goes away and we move on. The damage that's been done internally is astronomical. So everyone's talking about anxiety, rightfully so. Everyone's trying to get help. There are people in here who getting control over what you think about in a given day is the greatest challenge of your life. And then there's people who, that's not your main issue, but that's, a, that's definitely an issue between you and God. You struggle with worry. You project a negative future. You find yourself paralyzed in moments where you're just like, I cannot stop thinking about this one thing. And the good news about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus talks about this, and he actually gives us a weapon to use in our fight against an issue that's taking so many people captive. And here's the only issue I have with how much anxiety is being talked about right now. It's being talked about like crazy books are being written, studies are being done, yes. But I'm finding that very few people can accurately articulate what the Son of God said about this issue. And even fewer are actually living by it. So if we went person by person and said, hey, anxiety, is that a big deal? Yes, that is like the issue in our culture and in the next generation right now, but not just in the next generation. I believe it's in every generation right now. Yeah, it's a big issue. Hey, like Jesus in his most important sermon talked about it. What did he say you should do about that? 
And I think we would get glimpses and bits and pieces from people of like, I think he said something about seek first the kingdom of God instead of worrying about that stuff. I think he said, and I think we would get pieces, but we don't really look at it like the son of God in a human body decided this is what God says you should do and how you should handle this issue. It's not to say that the studies aren't important. It's not to make light of an issue that's very, very serious and dark. It is to kind of sober us up in the presence of God to go, hey, the son of God talked about this. We should really lean in when we turn to these pages and pay attention to what we are actually seeing. So here's what I know. Everybody in this room is in a different place. There is no way I can speak to every issue. Some of you need professional help. Some of you need to learn new patterns of prayer that you've never seen from the word of God. Some of you just need to be discipled by someone one-on-one. Some of you just need to tell somebody about the struggles that have gone on in your mind that have never been called out out loud and brought into community. I don't, I don't know every single individual's issue But I do know that where the Holy Spirit illuminates the way of Jesus, we find a better way and a better option than we can find anywhere else in this world. The reason why people are singing passionately about Jesus in this room and the reason why the wall says Jesus wins, if you're in the lobby, I know your wall says the Sermon on the Mount, but ours says Jesus wins. The reason why we're making a big deal about Jesus, not because we grew up in the Bible Belt and we feel like we have to, it's not because we're scared of hell and so we're calling out to God, it's because we find him more compelling and more beautiful and more supreme than anything else we could ever give our lives to. So what you're going to see is you're going to see a better way to live your life than running yourself into the ground based on worry and based on the burdens that you are carrying every day. And so as we open the word of God, let's see the truth as something that sets us free, not something that shackles us up and binds us. If you brought your Bible, if you have your Bible, lobby included, if you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up. Come on, hold them up high. Hold them up. Oh, this is so awesome, y'all. This is, I know it it turned into a single person thing faster than I expected it to, but this is one of my favorite things about our church. Because when I say what I'm about to say, you're going to hear a sound that in the contemporary church, I didn't, I haven't heard since I was in my Southern Baptist church as a kid. Are you ready to hear the sound of raindrops on a sunny day? You ready to hear it? Turn with me to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. Come on, y'all turn there in the word of God. Oh, it sounds so good. I love it. I really did. So I I grew up Southern Baptist before we joined a non-denominational church. And that was always the moment during the sermon that like woke me back up when everybody started turning their Bibles. And I don't know if everybody brought them. They used to have Bibles by the hymnal in front of our pew every week. And it was like, oh, all of a sudden, oh, it's raining. No, it's not. That's pages. Okay. And so we're, we're looking together in the word of God. I love that so many of you bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we will give you a Bible today. We're in verse 25, and I need to remind you, we're coming out of a section where Jesus was talking about money. He literally said, you cannot serve both God and money. So I don't find it accidental that right after money, he hits on anxiety. Maybe the reason why we're so anxious and worried, are you laughing because of my three girls? (laughs) Like, I heard somebody's like, ha ha, it's your problem now. It's like, oh, whoa, I didn't really realize that, but now I'm I'm getting anxious. Um, Have you ever thought about how much our anxiety is actually driven by our culture that's competing for value based on things that do not matter at all? But 2,000 years ago, life was the same way in the Roman Empire. You cannot serve both God and money. Then Jesus is going to make this statement. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. If you're there, say, I'm there. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's the word of God. So in this passage, Jesus gives you a pretty blatant, clear view of what he thinks about worry. And he essentially, in many different illustrations and different ways, says two things. Number one, he says, worry is something you shouldn't do because it's purposeless and meaningless, It's kind of humbling to think about Jesus laughing at the idea that we can't add a single hour to our life. It's kind of a God joke. You know, there's dad jokes, but it's like God joke. You can't even add a single hour to your life. And the whole Trinity is like, that's nothing for us. But for them, you're literally powerless to change some of the details of what's holding you captive. And he goes on to say, hey, God is doing in the world these intricate, detailed things like clothing the grass of the field with, with, with this beauty that I, I literally think he was able to look around and point these things out. Like, look at the birds. Like, literally, look. I, I think there were some flying around him right there in that moment. He's like, they're not freaking out about where their next meal is coming from. They're not freaking out about where they're going to go. Yet your father is going to provide for them and care for them. Look at the field. That's, that's decorated in a way that Solomon's temple didn't even have that kind of detail. Solomon's temple, by the way, most beautiful, intricate creation in Israel's history that man put together. It's like, God, just what he throws into a field is more detailed. And if you're Father clothes the field like that, and your father looks after birds, how much more will he look after you? Now, everybody look up here and don't miss this. It's so simple to say, worry has no purpose because it doesn't change anything. But that never helped anyone overcome anxiety and fear. You ever told somebody who's anxious, trust God? And if you didn't get slapped, you probably heard, I'm trying. Pray about it. Hey, don't worry. It's not doing you any good. It's not like freaking out about it's going to change the outcome. You should just like have peace and work toward it because you can't control any of it. Like, no, I know I can't control any of it, but I also can't control my want to control. And so for Jesus to not just say, hey, this is purposeless. You're not God and God's running the rest of the universe. That's not complete and not enough. Jesus doesn't just say you shouldn't worry. He says you shouldn't worry because the sovereign creator of the world is your dad. Did you notice that? He points out all these elements about God's creation. He's like, look at the flowers, look at the birds, look at all these things that you didn't put here, God put here. That God is called your heavenly father interchangeably in the same section. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to shift where you connect your trust from your need for control to the father's control over everything. He's going, hey, I'm gonna let you into a little secret. 
Your God is not just like one of many gods competing for control. Your God is the sovereign creator in total control. Nothing has happened, is happening, or will happen that happens outside of his sovereign command. And whether by his will he allows or whether he inserts his will and presses in, our God reigns and our God is in total control. And that God has said, hey, you can call me dad. And Jesus goes, it's in the light of that reality that worry starts to evaporate in the light of the fact that God is your heavenly father. See, Jesus' goal right here, do not miss this, his goal is that you would start to attach your trust to your heavenly father instead of attaching your trust to the value system of this world. See, worry will expose you. What you worry about reveals what your trust is in. What you are anxious about actually reveals where you have ultimately submitted and surrendered. In the same way Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's like, you wanna know where your heart is? You wanna know what you really care about? Pay attention to where your money goes. And now he's saying, hey, you wanna know where your trust is? Pay attention to what you worry about. And the goal is that there would be a shift to where you don't attach your trust to the outcomes that you think need to come to pass in your life, but you learn to attach your trust to the fact to the one who does hold the outcomes has invited me into a relationship with him that actually gives me peace. And I'm telling you, this seems elementary, but if you actually go there with God, the word of God will set you free. Here's what Dallas Willard says in his commentary that I keep quoting and that you need to read called The Divine Conspiracy. This is what he said. Watch this. Soberly, when our trust is in things that are absolutely beyond any risk or threat, and we have learned from good sources, including our own experience, that those things are there, anxiety is just groundless and pointless. It occurs only as a hangover of bad habits established when we were trusting things like human approval and wealth. They were certain to let us down. Now our strategy should be one of resolute rejection of worry while we concentrate on the future in hope and with prayer and on the past with thanksgiving. Go back to the beginning. Watch this. Soberly, when our trust is in things that are absolutely beyond any risk or threat, and we have learned from good sources, pay attention to this, including our own experience that these things are there. Anxiety is groundless and pointless. There it is. It's a shift from trusting things to trusting a reliable father. And the reason why you and I struggle to make that shift is because we don't have experiences that mandate faith. And so without experience of your heavenly father coming through as faithful, it's no wonder that you'll run to what you're trusting in elsewhere. What I'm saying is it takes faith to learn what you trust in. And to learn that the sovereign creator of the universe is your dad, you need real opportunities in your life to taste and see that he's actually real and he's actually there. And if you don't have those, it's no wonder why when things become uncertain, you run to the former things. Because all you have was a God who you ascribe belief into mentally, but you didn't literally put your life in a position where he had to come through for you. This is what I'm saying. This is crazy. You wouldn't think to tell an anxious person, hey, what might be at the bottom of your anxiety is a lack of situations that you're putting your life in where God has to come through for you. Because as long as he's your heavenly father who runs and controls everything, and that's just like doctrine on a wall, it'll never be real in your heart. 
Maybe anxiety is an indicator of our trust of self more than it is our trust in things. And maybe, this is, this is insane advice to give somebody, maybe like putting your life in a position where God has to prove to you that he's actually real will prove to you that he's real enough to come through for you when you're, que- when you're questioning and willing to doubt. And maybe if you actually gave God a chance, he said, he said, when our trust is in something that we know is not going to change. So we all know God's constant. We know God's in total control. We know he owns the final story. What we don't know is based on our own experience that he's all of those things. And so what we have to learn to do is give him an opportunity in real time to wake us up. I love that he says the word soberly. It's like, I am seeing with clear eyes that you actually are who you say you are. Maybe putting your finances, putting your career, putting your marriage, putting your family in a position to go, God, if you don't come through, we're not going to make it. And then you do come through and God goes, see, I'm still the faithful one who makes a way and splits the sea, but now I'm doing it in your life. And now you've replaced the fear and anxiety of what you can't control with the fact that I'm the one in control and you know me. And I want us to reframe the way we look at the past and the way we look at the future through the lens of the fact that I know that God is another in the fire for me. It's not enough to read about him being in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's more to invite him into your fire and go, will you sit with me here? And you walk with him and you start learning who he really is. I'm telling you, this is the doorway to anxiety subsiding. Maybe instead of living the rest of your life in self-preservation, you start to live in self-denial. The freedom of self-forgetfulness is this. You get to forget yourself. And anxiety screams self-preservation. Run to what you know. Hold on to what you have. Keep it secure. Keep it tight. Keep it yours. And what the gospel says is, you don't control all that anyway. But the one who does wants to know you personally. So maybe if you just cash all that in, in the light of who he is, and watch him tell a story through your life that's so much better than what you had in mind, everything would change. Now, look at the end of this quote. I love this. He talked about, while we concentrate on the future in hope and with prayer and on the past with thanksgiving. See, that's interesting because I believe anxiety thrives when we're sandwiched between a past that we can't change and a future that we can't control. In fact, you can write that down. I wrote it down differently. Anxiety grows between a past we cannot change and a future we cannot control. This is where it happens. And what Jesus is prescribing is a way of disarming the past and the future with a different way of living. How many of you can think back to your most anxious thoughts, to the moments that you worry the most, and trace it back to either something in the past that you wish you could change, or watch this, something in the past that you wish you could revisit? I know people who are anxious because they want to go back to a previous season more than they want to live in a current one. And whether it's the past that you can't change or you can't revisit, or for most of us, it's a future that we can't control. It's outcomes that I can't see. It's things that I can't maneuver or manipulate or put my arms around. But if I spend my whole life sandwiched between a past I can't change and a future I can't control, what am I? Paralyzed. And and, and anybody who's had a semblance of an anxiety attack knows what happens to you. You can't do anything. You can't function. You can't think. You can't move. You You can't even put coherent thoughts together. What does it do? It paralyzes you. What Jesus is doing is he's going, hey, I want, to, I want to remove the paralysis, and I want to give you some function. And the function is in the opposite direction of where anxiety will take you. So here's what anxiety will do. Anxiety will have you focused on the past and focus on the future. And Jesus goes, I don't want you to do either of those things. I want you focused on now in light of forever. 
Did you notice that in the passage? At the very end, he talked about, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough trouble of itself, and today has enough trouble of its own. I love that. Jesus doesn't deny that today might be really hard. He doesn't deny that there are issues that you should actually be concerned about. But concern is not the issue. Paralysis because your concern has led to a trust issue, that you've attached your heart to the outcome of these things instead of attaching your heart to the relationship with the one who controls the outcome. That's where Jesus is entering in and going, hey, be present today in light of forever. And if you're in this moment today, knowing that your eternity is secure, guess what you have the freedom to do? You have the freedom to be alive. You have the freedom to be a human being and grieve the sadness and enjoy the things that, that initiate joy in your life. You have the freedom to actually be a human being present today. I don't know if there's anything in my life I want more right now than to just be where I am. I can barely even get in the car and be driving without my brain going in 50 different directions before I make it out of the driveway. And I know so many of you are there right now, but what Jesus is doing is he's going, hey, heaven's gotta be in sight. And today has to be your only focus. And underneath a life like this, this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't leave you without a roadmap for how to do it. Jesus is the most practical teacher who ever lived. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you look for the gold, if you look for where he's leading with his teaching, he's not just telling you that you have a problem, he's telling you how to deal with it because he's your rabbi. And look at this teaching. Some of you got it memorized. Matthew chapter five, or chapter six, verse 33. But here it is. This is what I want you to do. Seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, some people have taken that to mean if you seek after God, you'll always have clothing, you'll always have food, you'll always have shelter. But we know from Jesus' own life and from the Apostle Paul and martyrs throughout all of church history, that's not necessarily true. What Jesus means by all these things will be given to you as well. He means if you're pursuing the kingdom of God first and foremost, you can trust that everything you have in a given moment was ordained and delivered by the sovereign God of the universe who knew about it and has secured your eternity with him forever. You can find trust in any given moment knowing if my pursuit is not the value system of the world, but if my new pursuit is the value system of heaven, I've replaced anxiety with love. Watch this. What's the value system of our world? Stuff. He talks about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. 2,000 years ago, there was a competition for value on the basis of things. And Jesus goes, yeah, you live in a kingdom with a different value system. We don't value things. God values you. What, what, what's the value of the kingdom of this world? Stuff. What's the value of the kingdom of God? The children of God. And Jesus goes, when you know how valuable you are to your father, you have made yourself a conduit of what matters, not a competitor trying to compete and grab value elsewhere, comparing yourself to the approval and the wealth of everybody else. And Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, let's drill down. This is the practical application. You're supposed to do this. If I prayed right now and told you to do this this week, we would have thousands of different interpretations of what that means all over this room. 
And that's where in our Bible studies, we fall short because we think we read a verse and we go, yep, I'll memorize that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to me as well. I can trust that whatever I have is what God wanted me to have in a given moment if I seek first his kingdom. But hold on. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? And instead of going, well, it's a quiet time in the morning. It's a prayer time every day. It's making sure you go to church. And it's, it's some kind of mixture of all those different things. I really want to like zone in on the word kingdom because I want to give you, I only got one weapon today. I want to give you one weapon that you have to actually fight anxiety. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I believe the key word in that is a part of kingdom. It's king. We don't have a big context for this. Our country was started to escape the tyranny of a king. We're anti-king. We're anti-authority, honestly, if you think about America. But Jesus goes, actually, the peace that you're looking for is found not when you're over with authority, but when you're under authority. And under the authority of a king, now what does a king do? Rules and reigns. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is king. And right now, that kingdom is expanding on planet Earth through hearts and minds who have been transformed by a knowledge of who the king is. So the kingdom of God is pushing back against the darkness in real time right now. But you're in an eternal story where that kingdom will be a physical place. The new heaven and the new earth is heaven invading earth. Remember, heaven's forever. You're going to have a physical body. Remember we talked about all that stuff? You're going to live somewhere. You're going to live forever. Guess where you're going to live? In a place where Jesus is king and where Jesus rules and reigns. But watch this. That place hasn't been initiated on the earth yet, but that place already exists in heaven. Did you know there is a throne room in heaven with a king on a throne who is worshiped all the time? And I believe what seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means is I believe it means to pursue with your entire life a ready awareness of the fact that Jesus is the king and you're not, and that's a good thing. Some of you have never read the account of the throne room in the book of Revelation, and it would blow your mind to read a vision of what's happening right now. In fact, I, I actually want to go there, and I, I don't want this to be like a huge, let's look and find it, because Revelation is the last book in your Bible. So go ahead and turn back there. Go to Revelation 4. I'm not gonna, we're not going to put all these verses on the screen. I want to show you a couple things. I lost my spot as well. Okay, here it is. Revelation 4 is the throne room of heaven. And John has this vision of Jesus seated on a throne, and it's weird. There's all these creatures crying out. There's all these six-wing creatures. There's all these elders who have thrones surrounded by this one throne where Jesus is. And day and night, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Revelation 4 is one of the most popular places to talk about the throne room of God. But the part that gets me is that Revelation 4 is not all that happens in the throne room. If you read Revelation 5, there's a really strange scene that happens. And it's what happens when an angel stands up in heaven and holds up a scroll. You can, and I had you turn there just so you know it is actually there. And I'm not just making this up. An angel holds up a scroll that has seven seals on it. And the question comes up in heaven, who is worthy to open the scroll? Now, what's the significance of the scroll? The scroll signifies the end of all things and the initiation of the kingdom of God on planet Earth. 
And everybody's looking around in heaven and no one can be found who can open the scroll. So it's like they're stuck, separated from God forever. They're stuck in this broken world and John's looking around. It literally says in Revelation chapter five, it says that he wept and wept, this is verse four, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. And then there's this moment. It says, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And then it says, he looked. Look at verse 6. He saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And all of heaven is dumbfounded to behold the lamb of God, who's also called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here's what's happening in heaven, y'all. The predicament of humanity being separated from God forever is being solved by the one who's on the throne. And the one who's on the throne becomes the blood offering to initiate a brand new kingdom. And no one ever talks about this. The song of heaven is not just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Day and night, they never, ever, ever stop saying that. No, no, no. There's a new song that happens, and that's what I want to read to you today. It starts in verse 9. It says, they sang a new song saying, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a what? A kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then it just gets better. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering 10,000, or thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million for all of you non-math majors. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the scene breaking out in heaven. You know what it says right before these verses? It says that the prayers of the people of God burn like incense at this throne. Miles, why are you talking to us about Jesus on a throne in the middle of your talk on anxiety? We were going somewhere with the whole not letting the future you can't control in the past. Like, I, I got that. But now we're in Revelation, which I already was nervous turning back there because I never looked back there. And now, and now we got a lamb and a lion and we got all these creatures and we got elders and it's weird and they're shouting. A hundred million angels are shouting, worthy are you? I felt called by God to get in front of you today and tell you that seeking first the kingdom of God is learning to join your life with the song that's happening in this room. It's learning that your weapon against anxiety is something that you've had all along. And you don't have to wait until you're there to express it. Your weapon against anxiety is one word, worship. And maybe the doorway to anxiety being torn down in your heart and life is learning 
to let out of your soul the song of heaven for the very first time. Oh, when you see that word, please stop thinking about a band playing a song. Please stop the, oh yeah, worship, because we do worship after the message and he's setting up our worship time. No, worship is a weapon that every believer gets entrusted to them. And when you learn to express out loud the realities being sung about in Revelation, you actually start to disarm the powers that hold you from within because now your heart's in tune with the fact that you're in an eternal story that's not about you. It's all about him. And the freedom of self-forgetfulness is this. Forget me. I get to view him. And the more I adore him, the more all these things that rule me are disarmed because I'm ruled by the king. And some of you, Many of you have been a Christian for multiple decades and you have never let out a prayer or a song that tells Jesus you are worthy of every ounce of worship I have to give. And when it goes unexpressed, it suffocates you because letting out that song is the reason why you're alive. Have you ever, have you ever heard somebody say to you, uh, I don't know how you do it? Or I don't know how they do it, talking about other people. People tell me that every Sunday. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you get up here, but it comes so natural to me. But then I can say that to like guys who can fix things. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you do it. Or I, or I can say it to moms. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I do not. I do, you, you see something and you go, what, what they are doing looks impossible to me. I say this with the utmost humility. Some of you who have never once opened your mouth in your own time, to proclaim how worthy the Lamb of God is. You've never tuned your heart to the reality that this universe does not exist for you and neither does your life. You've never out loud said, holy are you God, worthy. With your blood, you purchased every tribe and tongue. You know what else you purchased? You purchased my life and my family. Some of you who have never let out that song, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it because I don't think I would be able to make it through. Oh, I go days, I go weeks without letting that song out. You know what happens to me the longer I go without letting that song come out in real time? I get more and more anxious. I get more worried, I get more self-centered, I get shorter with people. I find that the byproduct of stuffing that song in my soul is a lot of me and very little of him. But the byproduct of worship is letting go of you. You talk to anybody who's gone through a dark season of anxiety, dark nights where they couldn't sleep all night. What you will find, if they follow Jesus through it, what you will find for the ones who made it out the other side is you will find a pattern of worship. That they learned a song in the night. They learned a song when they didn't even have a song to sing. And they learned to set their sights on heaven in such a way to go, as he becomes greater, I become less and it doesn't mean I become less important. It means I find who I really am in losing myself. I find my real life on the other side of death. And that death, so hard, but so beautiful. What you need, what I need today is throne room awareness. And what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna practice this. I'm, I'm just trying to give you your one weapon you have against anxiety and teach some of you. This doesn't have to be something that a few Christians are walking in. 
you, you will feel so awkward. You'll feel so uncomfortable. You get in a room alone. You maybe even put the song in your ears or you just get far away from people and you go, okay, I, worthy are you to receive power and wealth and wisdom, glory and strength. And after 2020 and after 2021, y'all, I'm just so, I'm so beyond caring. Like, I don't care if somebody walks in my office and sees me beneath my desk, just crying that out in the middle of the day. Because I'm so tired of my whole life being about me. And I'm so tired of living in my own strength. I need something else. And the doorway to more is walking through less of me, more of Jesus. Here's how. I got two points and then we're done. We'll put them both on the screen. You need to learn how to do these two things in the presence of God. Number one, receive the value you have in God's eyes. And number two, ascribe the value God has in your eyes. So let me preach number one because I think we're good at one but we still got to know this. Remember Jesus, Jesus, not Paul, not that it's less important, it's all important, but Jesus said you matter to God. In fact, in this very teaching, Luke actually grabs some of the Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't the only time that Jesus taught this stuff. He was teaching this stuff for three and a half years. These are all his like most important teachings packed into one in the Sermon on the Mount. So in Luke, you actually get more detail beyond these teachings. And then in Luke chapter 12, when Jesus said, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. That sounds familiar. That sounds like what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, because it is. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's insane. If you let that sink into your mind right now, your father, the ruler of the universe, it makes him happy to give you everything he already did in Jesus. He's like, you got nothing, you got nothing to be afraid of. Uh, God enjoys giving you everything about the kingdom of God. It pleases him. And what you'll find is the glory of God and our satisfaction always go hand in hand. You find yourself most satisfied in God when Jesus is exalted to the highest place. And so what I've learned is to go, okay, if, if, I got, if I can just feast on the fact that God really does value me. This was the lie in Genesis. Did God really say, does God really have your best interest at heart? Does he really love you? Is he really for you? And Jesus stomps the head of the snake and goes, yep, right here. And that's why 1 Peter 5 says this. I preached on this a couple weeks ago. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The reason why you can get in the presence of God and throw out your cares before him is because as you exchange what you care about, he gives you what he cares about and it's you. Now I did a whole sermon on this. I can't go into full details called Under God's Mighty Hand. I literally did it like a month ago. And it's all about making an exchange when you pray to God, giving him what makes you anxious. And you need to listen to that. But so many of us, can we put those two points back on the screen? So many of us have learned to fight anxiety based on number one. I need to get alone with God. I need to give him what I care about and receive what he cares about. But that's incomplete. You don't just receive the value you have in God's eyes. You have to learn, and this is what so many of you haven't done and why you're so anxious. You have to learn how to ascribe to God his value in your own eyes. And go, God, this is what I see when I see you. Psalm 96 says this, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering into his courts. Worship the Lord 
in the splendor of his holiness. Where is that? The throne. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Some of y'all need to circle that 10 times. You're watching the news. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. This is the end of the world as we know it. Nope, not until he comes back. Very firmly established. Established by hands that govern everything. He will judge the peoples with equity. You gotta get a bigger view of God. And the bigger view happens on the other side of ascribing to God his worth. Don't be distracted by them. They are up here because they're gonna lead you in doing point number two. That's all we're up here to do right now. It's to ascribe to God the glory due his name. And so as many self-help books as you can read, and maybe you should, and those strategies are helpful. As many doctors as you should see, as many conversations you need to have about it, all that's great. Here's what I'm saying. If you do all of that and you never grab on to the weapon you have to fight anxiety called worship, you are missing out on an opportunity for Jesus to overcome the terrible lie that got us in the garden in the first place. So if you're here and you have never thought about the value and worth of Jesus, let me make it as plain as I possibly can. The one who was already on the throne, Isaiah chapter six, is the one who came down. Jesus didn't earn the throne by dying. He gave it up and died and went back where he belonged because he wanted you to be there. And with his blood, he purchased for God persons from every tribe. Every single nation will be represented in heaven. And that is why the mission of our lives is to get his glory from coast to coast. Everybody must hear this news. So here it is. It's God. You're getting all that glory in heaven right now. Can I just join my voice and say, you're worthy of it all and more. In fact, right now, that's what we're gonna do. And in the lobby, this might be weird for y'all as well, but can we all stand up into this moment and join together? Let's watch anxiety flee in the light of praise of who Jesus is. I want you to join in and go, I want my life in that throne room right now. Jesus, you're so worthy. Heavenly Father, I pray that as these words go into heaven, that they would not just be words that we're saying because they're on a screen, but they would be the cry of our hearts, God. That God, you are so worthy. You made everything and everything exists to glorify and honor you. So let our lives join in that song. Come on, y'all. Would y'all sing this with us right now? Come on, you're worthy of it all. If you gotta bow, then bow. If you gotta shout it, then shout it. Whatever you gotta do to get it through to your spirit, that Jesus alone is worthy and Jesus alone is on the throne. Come on.